What's going on, everybody? Listen, if you're ready to put your podcast out there and get your message out to the world and help impact a lot of people, Anchor is the way to do it. It's a free service. Uh, you're able to upload your information uh, and your recordings, or you're also able to do your recordings right on Anchor. It distributes it for you. Uh, it puts it all together for you. It's very, very simple to use, very easy to use. And uh, if you're ready to start and put your podcast out there, this is the platform to use. What's up, everybody? I am Clay Smeltzer, your host of the Purpose Diffuse Men's Podcast. We're bringing men together to help rebuild masculinity with heart and purpose, helping good men do great things. Today, I'm excited, and let's get this show on the road. What's up, Ryan? How are you? Today's going to be a great day, man. And uh, what I really want to do here is just have a chat with you about two topics. One is scarcity. And the other one is emotional intelligence. So uh, just give a little background about who you are, where you're from, what you do, uh, all that kind of stuff there, Ryan. And uh, then let's have a great conversation today. Sure. Thank you so much for having me, Clay. This is a real honor and a pleasure. And I really appreciate what you're doing in terms of the purpose-infused man. Um, what a great initiative and uh, so needed in the world today. Absolutely. So as Clay said, I'm Ryan McShane. I live in uh, Stewartstown, Pennsylvania and uh, went to Penn State and um, spent uh, 20 plus years in human resource management after that. And uh, as of uh, about four and a half years ago, I launched my own consulting business. Uh, after 20 years in the corporate environment, uh, I just wanted to go out on my own and uh, really have that direct impact that I was looking for throughout my career. And uh, so today I operate a company called HR Evolution. And uh, really, we have three serv major services that we provide, small business HR consulting, leadership development training, as well as career branding and career uh, support services. Uh, so what a, what a fun, fun experience that's been over the last four and a half years launching the business and really getting out there and, and helping people and, and experiencing what I've been longing for uh, this whole time is that uh, direct connection. And uh, so it's, it's been a lot of fun and I, you know, it's enabled me to meet wonderful people like you as yeah. well. Clint. So Yo, uh, thank you. Yeah. And, and it's great. I love what you said there. It said, you said two ways, direct impact and direct connection. So mm -hmm. tell me a little bit more. Why is that so important? You have that direct impact or direct connection instead of being in that mm -hmm. HR world where you're at before being yeah. an entrepreneur, and and a businessman being able to go out and have that. So what? Let, let me I, like I want to kind of pick up on that a little bit. Sure. So the direct connection or direct impact. The direct impact comes from the fact that um, oftentimes in a large corporate or institutionalized environment, uh, things are so compartmentalized um, that it's hard to really know the impact of your efforts and your work on other mm. people um, because it passes through so many hands. And by the time it gets down to the people that were intended to receive the benefit of your efforts, um, you don't necessarily see that connection um, and don't necessarily see the difference that that made in others' lives. And so now as an individual entrepreneur, I'm working one-on-one -on -one with people. I'm working with one-on-one, -on -one, uh, well, one-on uh, certain teams and groups. So I'm working directly with those folks rather than passing it along through the bureaucracy and, <laughs> and things of that nature. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, the impact of that has been incredible. Go ahead. Go no, no. I I run to actually, and I apologize for cutting you off there, but I want to uh -huh. talk because you said I think this is huge, man. Because uh, as in in my career, I'm a teacher. I'm a I'm a coach. I help men, uh, you know, develop their passion and purpose. But I'm also a teacher as well. And man, what you said here's what you said because I think a, a, men feel this all the time, man, and, and and women do too. But you said hard to know your real impact on the company for the work that you're doing. Mm -hmm. Dude, that's huge, man. I mean, if we had a if we had a show of hands, whoever's watching this or listening to this, and, and we would say, "Hey, raise your hand if you've ever felt or you know what impact you have on your company, and you know that what, what the value you're bringing is actually seen, heard, and recognized." And, and yeah. I don't know how many hands would go up saying that. That's so true, and and I think oftentimes it comes down to what we measure. And so are we measuring the right things? We're so, um, 
we're so affixed with the idea of you know numerics and outcome-based measurements <laughs> but are we actually measuring the things that make the difference or yes. are we just trying to measure something so that we look like we are uh, doing what we intend to do mm. and I think all too often those kind of questions aren't asked in the boardrooms and in the meeting rooms um, they're more of hey this is what we're going to measure this is what we're going to do and not really seeing or making sure that there's that uh, direct um, connection to purpose certainly yes. something that aligns with uh, <laughs> your interest as well absolutely I, I love that you brought that in there too because and, and here's what it, here's here's Somebody, I forget who said, I think it was in our brotherhood yesterday. Somebody said there's a big difference between progress and movement. No, actually, it was a buddy at the gym. He said there's a big difference between progress and movement. And progress means you're actually making those gains where you said, you know, are we really measuring the right things? Mm -hmm. And that progress would be able to show you that. But since there's movement, then we all kind of say, hey, oh, well, we got data that we're moving. But are we actually progressing to be better, to be more? And I think that's where it comes back to is, is yeah. when you take a company and like what you're doing and, and it's an HR evolution. It's an evolution. We had this conversation before. It's that evolution of what's new in a company, what's what's out there. And I think, you know, this is just a, such a great time in, in the world for every single thing to change and to evolve and to become better. And, and just for like people going back to that statement of saying, you know, what real impact do I have on the company that I work for? If we focus more on the purpose part and saying, hey, what is your purpose here? And what's our purpose as a, as a community, as a business? You know, we would, we would be able to measure those different things and say, hey, you know what, Ryan, here's what you're doing for our company. Here's how it's helping out. Thank you, reward. But that also goes into the leadership, which is what you teach too. So go over to the leadership side and see, you know, what is it that, as men or as business owners, as entrepreneurs, people who, and CEOs and so forth that are men, what can we do as leaders in order to be able to help other people feel like they are valued? Yeah, that's a great question. And let me just first start by saying, if we're not consciously evaluating how what we do aligns to the overall purpose that we intend, then we're gonna be doing all kinds of movement out here instead of progressing as you had indicated. So it, it's so important and that feeds right into leadership. Leadership, I, I think it can't be overstated the amount of impact that leaders have on an organization and how that organization runs on a daily basis. Culture is predicated on uh, leadership dynamics, what the leaders accept of their employees, what leaders demonstrate in their modeling of their behavior. And that's where we have a real epidemic. The true epidemic that I think exists in this world is authoritarianism. And what I mean by that is we've been uh, conditioned on a model of authority and we conflate the terms authority, management, and leadership all mm. together while they mean vastly different yes. things. They mean vastly different things. And so, you know, command and control, do what I tell you because I'm your boss is, yeah, that's a type of leadership. It's a type of authoritarian leadership. It's also based on the management principle of control. And so management is necessary in, in as far as you need to control certain dynamics within the organization, but it's not your bread and butter. Leadership is your bread and butter, and that's where you support people to realize their greatest capabilities. Mm -hmm. And that's not only on an individual level, but that's on a team or an organizational level as well. Okay. So I think the leadership dynamic can't be uh, overstated that the approach that you take is going to have a direct impact on the culture. It's going to have a direct impact on the performance. It's yes. going to have a direct impact on relationships. It's going to have a direct impact, obviously, on the revenue generation right. and profit yeah. as well. And so um, as a leader, are you um, calling people to do what you tell them and you're measuring their yeah. success based on how well they comply? How high did they jump when I asked them to jump? And that's what I measure. Again, going back to the things that we're measuring. Mm -hmm. Or are we saying, hey, we're going to measure growth. We're going to measure how you've accumulated new skill sets and you've reached more yes. people as a result of your growth in your skill set. 
There's there there's just so much there's so many rabbit oh, yeah. trails we could jump down from that, <laughs> that standpoint. Dude, oh, absolutely, and I love it because you you put the usually I always say there's a difference between managing and leadership because a lot of times when you when you, when you talk to business owners or CEOs or stuff like that or and I'm in the educational space so I was taught I have my master's degree in educational leadership I was taught to manage not lead so when I went through all of my educational stuff. I had one class that said leadership in the title and then I, it wasn't about leadership. It was just how to, how to keep a building running, you know, all the behind the scenes, the mechanics, the, the budget, the, the stuff like that. It wasn't really leadership and leading people. And uh, my argument was, was always, and I think I made a lot of probably my professor's man, which I'm okay with that is I always said, listen, you can teach me all this stuff. That's great, but I'm going to use John Maxwell's quote. If people don't care what you know, Oh, sorry. If people don't care, no, I just totally messed that up. <laughs> I, think I, know what, I think I know which one you're referring to. Yeah, they yeah. don't care what you know until they know, they know that you that, care. There you go. Yep. People don't know what you, uh, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. So it, it's like in that, and they're like, well, you know, if you're really good at developing curriculum and stuff like that, like they'll listen to you. I'm like, no, they won't. If they don't, if they think I'm just going to come in there and push my agenda or whatever it is, and they don't actually think I care about them as a person, not a teacher, as a person, then they don't have, they don't care what I have to say. And I always say, you know, think back to teachers that you knew were just there collecting a paycheck. And they're like, oh, I'm like, would you listen to them? No. Think about a boss that you had that you were like, I know that dude didn't care about me. He was just about money or she was mm -hmm. just about money. Did you care what they had to say? Nope. Would you go to battle for them? If they said, hey, today we're going to go into battle and this is war. Are you going to stand next to me? You're going to be like, no, nah, dude, you're going to go by yourself, man. Like you go fight that battle, not me. And it's like, when, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I, you made me think of something. You know, I've seen coaches that have such mm -hmm. inspiration on their, on their student athletes. Yeah. Where they, they'll run through walls for them, yeah. you know. And how, how often do you experience that kind of same dynamic and relationship in the workforce? Not typical. No, not and typical. why is that? Because the whole dynamic of the relationship in the workforce is largely different. Mm -hmm. The coaching relationship is all about building that student athlete up and helping them realize their own potential. Right. But that's not a mindset that's often carried into the workforce. Mm -hmm. It's typically, I got to get the numbers, got to focus yep. on the numbers, got to get, you know, got to watch the weenus if you're familiar <laughs> with that episode of the friends, yep. you know, uh, you know, it's, it's all a matter of what we're measuring and it goes right. back to what we said before. It, and that dis distracts us from our overall purpose. Yeah. And so again, if we're not holding up our purpose on a continuous basis to say, how does that behavior align to our purpose? How does that policy aligned to our purpose? You know, how does this initiative, how are our right. operations? You know, all the things that we do within that sphere of organization, mm -hmm. what is the alignment to purpose? And if it lacks alignment, that's an opportunity to throw it out because it's not going to serve us. Correct. Oh, beautiful, man. And, and I think as you were sitting there talking, I was like, think about ourselves. We're talking about business right now, but think about yourself as a man if you're not aligned to your purpose, where are you going? It's the same stuff. Everything you just said right there, if we take it to an individual basis, if you're not aligned to your purpose, or like me for 35 years of my life, I had no idea what my purpose was. Mm -hmm. I, didn't, I didn't do the work to define it. I didn't do the work to write it down to say, hey, you know what? Clay Smelter is all about these three things. And once I did that, now... I have, that's why I make decisions. Why did I, I contact you to come on? Because you're going to help others own themselves, love their story and live with purpose, which is my purpose. You're going to help them do that. And, and our conversation together is going to help them do it. I'm going to get better. You're going to get better. Other people are going to get better. And it's like, that's where it's like, no matter what I do, whether I'm here with you, whether I'm upstairs with my wife, whether I'm with my kids, whether I'm at school teaching, whether I'm coaching baseball, whether I'm at the grocery store, my purpose is always the same. I'm centered. And then as an athlete, we always want to stay centered. But anytime, now that I have it clearly defined, anytime I go off center, just like you said, I can say, you know what, is that really serving my purpose and why I'm here? And if it's yeah. not, throw it out. 
Or yeah, I can well, decide ahead of time and say, hey, you know what? No, it doesn't, it doesn't match fully. It hits one and two, but it doesn't hit three. I need to hit it all three. So it brings this clarity to your life, but it also brings clarity to business. So let's, let's jump into that scarcity piece because I think a lot of what you're saying in, in business and in our lives, we operate in this scarcity mindset where we're like, oh shit, like what's going to happen? Especially like, listen, we're, we're going to head back to school. We just got an email we looked at from our district that we're in saying, hey, things are going on the rise. Uh, I don't know, this many people... Um, our quarantine, they can't come for this long because of one person. Like we have this, there's a lot of stuff out there. It's like, it is, it can be scary, but let, let's talk about that and how that's affecting our mindset and, and also relate it because I know you're very good with the emotional intelligence and that's a lot of what you do. So how does that scarcity mindset play into the emotional intelligence and how do we make decisions that are more centered to who we are rather than making emotional decisions mm-hmm. and being emotionally reactive instead of thought reactive? Yeah. Great question. So I think uh, you can't really separate um, scarcity um, from emotional intelligence because you've got to look at what precedes a scarcity mindset. And in my estimation, what precedes a scarce, any scarcity mindset is fear. Mm-hmm. And so that fear produces a scarcity mindset um, because it's all about Mm self-protectionism. As emotional intelligence tells us that there is a key moment and all of us have these key moments and we experience them throughout the day, some more significant than others. Uh, And certainly we've experienced key moments that have been very significant in our lives. But depending on how we respond to that key moment, we either resist it or embrace it. And when we resist that key moment, what what it does is it perpetuates a path of survivability. Mm-hmm. And so when we're in the path of survivability, um, we are on the lowest rung of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's that need for security um, and, and protection. And so if we're operating from that fear-based mentality that produces a scarcity mentality, we are kind of closing ourselves off. We're protecting ourselves. We're putting up our boundaries, if you will. And as a result of putting up our boundaries, we don't let much in. And in fact, anything that kind of comes near our bubble or our space, we bat away because (laughs) it could potentially be a threat. Yeah. And so what's happening for that individual, what's happening for that individual in terms of how they relate to other people when they're in that mindset, what, what happens is they see each other as enemies. They want to protect themselves from other people because they could bring about more fear and they could proliferate that scarcity. However, the, the inverse of that, is that if we embraced that situation, whether we liked that situation or not, we accepted it for what it is. Okay, this was a major loss, a major setback, and um, you know we've got to see it for what it is. What yeah. can I learn from this? What can I? How can I grow from this? And it is as a result of accepting whatever experience we're faced with that we're now on the pathway of success instead of the pathway mm-hmm. of survivability. And that has significant implications, once again, on the relationships we have. Um, At this point, we're embracing reality. We're operating from integrity. We're operating towards our vision and our purpose. These little setbacks do not um, interfere with our lives Mm -hmm. um, because we know that it's a blip on the screen on the way to achieving our purpose. Mm. But if we are on our way to our end goal is all about self-protection, our end goal is all about survivability, then we are in a position at that point to really resist anything outside of us to separate that connection that is so important to all of Mm -hmm. us and our proliferation and our life being on a regular basis. Dude, oh, ah. Like I'm like sitting here and go like that. I, we need that little, I like, I need in the corner here, that little thing that just is that mind blown one. And, and it, and it's so true. Like everything you said there. And, and here's, there's two things that I have here that I wrote down. 
do you think that mindset and emotional reaction of what we're talking about, does that play into that I'm right mentality? Because because we talked about, you, you said that when we're in this fear-based piece and we're protecting and we have this versus, you know, us versus them, like, does that play into that mentality, especially? And now I do see this with talking guys from, from the UK, from Australia, from Wales, stuff like that. Um, that that there is some of that mentality over there but in the u.s i mean right now with everything going on in the u.s we like i either have i'm gonna fight to the death that i'm right whether i think i'm right or not whether i'm actually right or not like does that play into that that culture of i'm right you're wrong so what i think you're talking about here uh clay is identity and where, you know, it's, it's funny that uh, you brought this up and uh, you referred to uh, this perception because it's something I was thinking about last night in preparation for this. And I actually wrote some notes in nice. my little phone here. So I, I'm going to read with you, uh, read to Definitely. you some of uh, what I kind of jotted down as, uh, as a brain dump thinking yeah. about this, uh, uh, this podcast. So an identity based on victimhood. So all too often what happens is we've created an identity based on our thought processes, based on our mentality, based on our thinking that we are either right or wrong. Mm -hmm. But if we also base our identity on this victimhood that we've adopted because of our fear, what we do is we, we stay stuck in our pain. And a pain that we have rationalized to be justified and normal. And so listen to what I'm saying in terms of rationalizing it. Yeah. You know, if you experienced what I experienced, you'd be angry too. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> but it's that, it's that justified rationalized uh, anger that we start to create an identity around. And so without that, we start to lose a sense of ourselves. So we almost um, perpetuate it um, mm -hmm. by reinforcing it on a regular um, basis. Um, let me kind of uh, read over here. So that, that pain that isn't consciously addressed and healed then becomes an unconscious pain we continue to carry and manifest in our thinking, our behavior, our relationships, our professional performance, and certainly family life yeah. as well. Absolutely. So now- it, do, you, do you mind if I jump in there real quick? Because sure. I, think, I think a great point is when I work with men, and we go into really dive into exactly who you are. We deal with what we call the shadow. And mm -hmm. what you just said there are most of the times their shadows are from when for hurts, pains, and things when from when they were younger. I'm talking right. like from four years old to 16 years old. And yep. lots of stuff comes back to those different time periods where maybe why, are, why is their relationship not, not where they want it to be with their wife? Well, because you had a relationship when you were 12 years old that that girl, you know, said something or whatever and you were holding hands with her in the hallway at school one minute and the next minute she's holding hands with somebody over there and that really hurt you you know and you've carried that all this time and if we don't consciously deal yes. with those they change to subconscious patterns and habits because our brains are wired to protect sorry yeah, sorry for interrupting but i i'd like that is no, so that, important for for is. men to know and women anybody who's listened to this that those hurts and those pains go to our shadow. We have to deal with our shadow, which is all yeah. the things that are in the back that we don't want to deal with. Yeah, and to reinforce that point, so now that what was a justified anger has mm -hmm. become a daily part of you instead of a temporary issue that we heal, grow, and move on from, it is now an aspect of you that you actually are reinforcing by allowing it to continue to reemerge in your thinking, feeling, and behavior. And notice what I said, allowing it to. Yes. If we don't consciously address it and look at it and examine it, you know, they say the unexamined life isn't worth living. Mm -hmm. It's so true because mm -hmm. we don't grow if we don't examine Correct. what we're doing and the impact that, that that has on us as well as the people around us. So uh, we can all recognize in our own experiences, but sometimes it bears saying out loud, we heal from facing whatever it is that caused us pain, never by avoiding or attempting to go around through distractions and escapism. Oh, and beautiful, man. <laughs> I always say, 
we have to step into our stories so we can step up to lead. And that mm. right there is exactly what I'm talking about. I could yeah. not be the best man, the best husband, the best father, the best coach, the best teacher, the best speaker, podcaster, whatever it is. If I didn't step into the things that I had to step into, I was, I, I always thought, you know, and, and I was looking at, I was always growth mindset. So getting up until where I was 35 years old, where I had to panic attack over, over a game of Thrones episode. And I'm sitting there going, dude, this is not, this is like, I, I, I something has to change mm-hmm. where the real, where I call it the shit hit the fan and either mm-hmm. something changed or I broke. And, uh, I just don't believe in, I, I for me, just breaking wasn't an option, you know, quitting mm-hmm. wasn't an option. And it's like, up to that time period, I was in that mentality of everything was good. I took care and owned the things that I wanted to own. And I didn't deal with, I didn't step into the things I didn't want to deal with. Mm -hmm. So when I told my wife, which I'm glad I did, I actually spoke out and stepped into it and said, listen, I'm dealing with a lot of anxiety. I have been for a month and I don't know what, and I really don't, I don't know how to fix it. I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And she said back, which I thought she was going to be like, oh, you're less than a man. I don't want to be with you, blah, blah, blah. But that was my mirroring of myself, of what my judgment of myself was. And she's like, Mm -hmm. I'm here for you. And I'm like, shit, I should have said this a long time ago. You know, it would have been better. But it's like in that moment, I stepped forward and it was out there. So now I can deal with it. And so many times, especially men, we just we can compartmentalize very well. And we just shoved that shit way back there. And for me, it was anger. It was anxiety. It was fear. It was shame. It was feeling less than or that worth worthlessness. Those are the five things I really had to deal with and go back to all those moments that I felt those things and really understand, is it true still or is it not true? Is the story I'm telling myself really true or is it not true? And if it's not true, what story do I want to be telling myself and then move, move in that direction. And, you know, I think what it's important to mention here, where is the, the, um, the resolution coming from? Is it outside of you or inside of you? And I think that's important to ask yourself that question. You, you said about panic attacks. Um, I don't know that quick story for you. I don't know if I uh, was experiencing panic attacks or what, but I remember very clearly being about 30 years of age and standing in my wife or standing in my kitchen, talking with my wife. And um, all of a sudden I started feeling very lightheaded and almost Mm -hmm. passed out. And I didn't have a clue as to why. Well, this kept happening. And uh, finally I went to the doctor and they said, Oh, you're stressed out. Take this pill. Take this pill. 15 years later, I'm still, I was still taking medicine as mm-hmm. a result of that one issue. And so what did it, what did it do is it uh, reinforced that there's an external solution to my mm-hmm. internal problem. And it didn't lead me to address my internal issues that caused the stress. I was only medicating it. And as a result of that, you, you sought out, I sought out an external solution and I, mm-hmm. and I really bought into the idea that I could medicate my problems. Mm-hmm. And obviously that's not going to heal anything. <laughs> what did I say at the very beginning? You can't go around or you can't escape it. You've got to go through to actually heal it. And that I think is important you know, you, you said uh, about what is in reflected in us individually is also reflected in teams mm-hmm. and in larger groups. And I believe very much in what's the concept of a fractal universe. Mm-hmm. And so this fractal idea is what's represented in the individual can be extrapolated out to the yes. larger groups, the teams, the divisions, the units, the organizations, this uh, community, the society at large. So what you recognize as something that you've experienced, you must understand that other people have likely experienced that mm-hmm. as well. And so now having a little bit of understanding of that, we can have greater empathy for those yes. around us. And I like to say that um, you know, an, 
I don't like to say it, but I think it's unfortunately true that we have uh, a whole society that is the walking wounded. Mm -hmm. And as a human resources professional, I saw this on a daily basis in the work environment. Most of the employee relations issues that came to my desk, that manifested at my desk, were because of unhealed issues. These are personality and identity-based, ego-based issues that come to Mm. my desk. And this person won't talk to me. And that person, you know, isn't nice to me. And can't you make them stop interacting with me? You know, just really kind of little kid stuff almost. Mm-hmm. And because it's unhealed things that, like you said, we experienced as little kids. And so unconsciously, we bought into certain beliefs that perpetuate this thinking that if you stand back for two seconds and really critically look, <laughs> that's not who I am. That's no. not what I think. That's not what I no. intend to feel. But unconsciously, this behavior has continued to manifest because right. I have chosen not to look at it mm-hmm. or I've chosen to medicate it for this period of time. Yep. And, and, and that's where I forget who it was. But I was talking with somebody or reading a book, whatever. We operate about 90 to 98% subconsciously, you know, in our daily basis. And that is including our thoughts. We like to believe that we operate more consciously. No, I'm choosing to do this. But I did a little experiment in school at one time, and, and, uh, and I just wanted to, to see uh, subconsciously how things worked. And I utilized it as a way to say, hey, this is subconscious programming. This is what you do. So I, took, I have a little squishy ball real soft and we actually use it to wipe off whiteboards and stuff. And what I would do is just randomly toss it at somebody and they would either do two things, duck or they would catch it or go to try to catch it. And it wasn't the actual catching itself, but the act of what is your subconscious reaction to when something's flying at you is to duck or is it to catch it and use. And then I asked the question, did you ever play baseball or softball? or play any sports with a ball, and they're like, yeah. Usually, I would say about 98% of the students were like, yeah, I I played who went to try to catch it or try to knock it or hit it away. The ones who ducked, almost all of them said, no, never never played a a sport with a ball. I don't like sports. You know, so it was pretty cool. And they're like, wow. I was like, yes, just by tossing a ball, we can see how our subconscious actually is programmed to react to certain things when they actually occur in our, in our environment. And, and they're like, wow, what else can we do? So we, we did some other experiments and stuff like that. But what's so cool about that is that, that a game that you played, that example, um, just perfectly models this acceptance or resistance to reality. And it perpetuates how do we operate? Are we going to embrace what's happening around us or are we going to resist it? And are we going to buy into the pathway of success or are we going to buy into the pathway of survival and protection? Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And and, uh, it was just very simple. And and, and so we relate that to other things. And I think that's so true. Let's go. I want to go back to my second thing that I had there is you talked about experience is getting our experience and I want to go into the topic of experience versus expectation. And especially for men, uh, like we're in a video here, and I'm going to give you the expectation level that I believe men usually give to themselves. And if you see, my arm is way out of screen. If you're, if you're listening to it, arm's way up. But our reality is here. Yeah. Our reality is in the middle of the screen. So Lots of times when it says, let's just take our body. So the four foundations that I work on are body, mind, bonds, and bills. So let's just take your body, that first foundation, and and I say, hey, I want you to get healthy as a man. Lots of times our expectation is to be jacked and ripped and to be able to run like 20 miles. And it's like, Mm -hmm. so when we start out and say, hey, you know what? I'm overweight. I don't, my body doesn't feel good. I know I'm not putting good stuff in. I know I want my body to be healthier we go to that expectation of I need to be this person. And it's that comparison, that comparison module, which is like, no, you're just you. So we say we need to be here where in reality we're right here at this point in time. So I want to kind of talk about that is, is saying what's the mindset for the scarcity? What's the mindset for the emotional intelligence in this experience, the experience what's going on, or I have this expectation versus what's going on. So, well, I, I think um, 
when you were talking, it made me think of a um, kind of famous line that is shared in certain communities, progress, not perfection. We aim for progress, not perfection. And I think that's important to understand because it, it, it recalibrates some of these high expectations that we have for ourselves. Yeah. And what all too often happens, like you had said, when your expectations are up here and reality is way is down here, then all we see is the gap. Yes. We see the gap between what we want and what we really actually have. And then depending on your mindset, you either beat yourself up for not having that, yep. uh, having greater alignment there or you're continuously um, in fear because maybe I'm not good enough um, and you start questioning yourself. So it's either, uh, you know, you beat yourself up because you're not where you want to be and then you start doubling down your efforts and you yep. get a little more tense as a result of it. And so nothing's really flowing from a nice creative energetic standpoint that we experience when our mind is open and not encumbered by fear. But when it is encumbered by fear, um, we, once again, we're very much in our blinder mode. And so it's all about that self-protectionism. And we revert back to what has worked in the past, whether it aligns to the situation or not. And so I think it's important to focus on how we create and self-perpetuate our own challenges and our own issues when we put ourselves in the mindset that is going to take us further away from what we actually intend to happen. Yeah. But we've not been conditioned to be able to say, wait a second, my mindset precedes all doing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's another one. I have to think first and then I can take action. You know, it's that, that, that thought. I have a thought. Your, your mind is, a, is what allows you to take action, consistent action, your habits and the systems that you have in place allow you to take progress to become the man that you want to actually be yeah. and to live with purpose and clarity. That's, it all starts so, here. So what if we started measuring something different as a, as a result of that? Now that we understand mindset precedes all behavior, and, and, and really thinking too, because the mindset even is uh, um, preceding the entire thinking process. The mm -hmm. mindset is space in which we allow thinking to take place. Mm -hmm. And so uh, a fear-based mindset only allows for this much space, you know, a pinhole size space, mm -hmm. whereas um, an abundance mindset allows for an, an infinite amount of space for that creation of new thinking and new behaviors to take place. So what if we started measuring or thinking to ourselves, listen, I understand mindset precedes all behavior and thinking. So what I'm going to do is focus not on all the things I have to do, behavior, action. I'm going to focus more on the uh, mindset that I want to have and if we focus on the mindset that we want to have, we then create the conditions mm. for the results that we ultimately look for. Ah, dude, I was just thinking, man, what if we, what if, what if education operated on like this? Ah. And, and oh, don't get me started. Not, not <laughs> don't get me started too. We, can, we, we might have another one. Strong feelings about oh. education. And, and I do, uh, oh man, and I, I absolutely, and and that's where it's like you know when we take. I, I just, uh, I just got done our our first episode yesterday, with actually mm -hmm. a former graduate of, of the district you live in, and um, awesome, awesome, and, and and that's where we talked about is when you talk about this mindset. He he wanted to know one of the questions was what are you looking for from older men to help you transition from being a 19 year old who's in college and transitioning into that adult on your own full time. And one of the things that he talked about was just having and being the example, you know, and showing that, you know what, your generation, which is our generation is willing to be open to change, to talk and have conversations. And when you are, willing to be able to do that. I'm more willing to do that too. 
because I'm looking at you. And, and one of the things is, is we talked about, and I said, exactly. I said, one of the reasons why we built, and he's part of our brotherhood is one of the reasons that we built that and are expanding that and, and, and are looking for more men to join is because one of the things that we are all about is expanding where we are or, or blossoming where we're planted and wherever we are around the world, around the country and so forth is to be able to, as men, expand ourselves into the next generation. You don't have to be a dad to expand and help young men. You don't have to be their exact father to do that. You can be their, you can act as a brother. You know, you can be their brother and stand shoulder to shoulder with those young men and help them. You can do it in your communities. You can do it on social media. You can do it in a lot of spaces. And it's like that mindset. If we, and I told cause, like, listen, man, one of the reasons why I love that you're part of our group is because you are getting this mindset now and are, and are dealing with these things now instead of like me when shit hit the fan at 35 years old. And I'm sitting there going, you know what? My life from the outside looked great. Cars, house, family, money in the bank look good. But internally, I'm sitting there going, what the fuck is going on? And it's like that right there, the shit hit the fan. And I – and. I, so many men in my generation, our generation, get to that point because we weren't taught or didn't have the conversations about doing, getting ourselves and knowing exactly who we are before the shit hit the fan. So I think that that mindset, because guess what? This precedes all of that. We waited till we had to take action. He's not waiting. He's doing it now so he doesn't have to take action down the road. When, when. Let's look at the fractal component of that, Clay. Yeah. Um, from an or organizational standpoint, imagine having an organization and they say, listen, we're not going to focus on vision. We don't have a purpose. Just go do. What would happen? Do what? <laughs> exactly. What am I doing? <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. But we're such an action-based society. Yes. How often does that happen? And the reason I ask that question, I know the answer. It happens more than you would ever like to admit. Mm -hmm. I go into organizations all the time, and they hire me to come in and, and solve some of their very significant uh, problems that have a huge impact on revenue. And all too often is you, you talk to employees, what's the mission around here? I don't know. There's a sign on the wall by the corporate office. Okay. So you don't have an understanding of the mission. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I think we're supposed to do this or, or that, mm -hmm. uh, but I think we are, you know, so they don't have a real good sense of where they're supposed to be going. That needs to start everything that precedes everything that we're yeah. doing. And so there's that fractal component that at, at an organizational level, if you don't have your purpose defined, same mm -hmm. as the individual level, if you don't have your purpose defined, how are you going to achieve it? But we are so, our society is so predicated on action. Yes. And I, I used to say, man, there's some, some jobs I had where all I would have had to have done is walk up and down the hall with a clipboard in my hand looking pissed off all day. And everybody would be <laughs> like, man, look at him go. Yes. He, he is so busy. He is so important. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I, I bet he's going to solve all the yeah. world's problems. And, and, and that's a great point because in, in my world, man, busy, if you're on every committee and you're doing this and you're doing that, like you're, you're like the best things in sliced bread. And it's like, wait, what are you really getting done? Because there is, I've always said this, there's a difference between being busy and being productive. And one, yeah, of, our and four, one of our four P's is the third one, which is productivity, which gives you profitability, which is the results and outcomes. So are you just being busy or are you just you actually being productive? There's a difference. And it goes a big back difference. to that example of movement versus progress too. You know, we're so focused on the movement. Are we really achieving what we're trying to achieve? Right. Well, if we don't have a purpose, how do you even know? Yeah. And again, what are we measuring? You know, and we see, I see that all too often in organizational culture. And I think organizational culture is often a reflection of societal thinking and individual thinking as well and so it perpetuates out there so why are we measuring busyness instead yeah. of progress or instead of achievement or whatever it may be that aligns us to our overall accomplishment of purpose absolutely you know, back to the education component you and i 
Cause it, yeah, you just said that. Why are we, why are we doing like do testing just came up in, in my head. I'm uh, like, it's, it's, I always argue that yeah. I'm like, listen, I teach math. I teach kids cause, cause in every state there's, there's standardized testing. Um, in Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, we're pretty, uh, Pennsylvania is a leader is one of the top five leaders in the United States for what they deem education and so forth. And so our system is stuff like that, that we have this standardized testing. And I always argue, and especially with people at the state and I say, Hey, listen, I was like, I teach math. And when we teach data and stuff like that, and we're looking at graphs, we can compare things and, and we teach, you know, proportionality, proportionality. I can't compare apples to oranges and tell them the same thing. However, when you're looking at our, a student's test scores, you're looking at seventh grade, because I teach seventh grade math, seventh grade and comparing it to sixth grade, which isn't the same content. Aren't you, aren't you evaluating a student on something that's completely different or comparing one year to the next year? That's completely, you're comparing an apple to an orange and then next year you compa- compare a banana to an orange and then the next, you know, and so forth. It's like, that doesn't make any sense. It goes against everything that I'm actually teaching my students. And then you, you get the, well, well, well. What is the well, result well, of that measurement? Yeah. What is the result of that measurement? I, what's, not result, value. What's mm-hmm. the value? Yes. Listen, Ryan, and, and this is everybody. If Good you're going to do something and you're going to invest your time, energy, and sometimes money, don't you want value out of it? Of course. So what's the value behind that testing? Yeah. Where's it going? What's the information being used? Now we can look at that and so forth, but that doesn't give the fact you talked about growth because we're, we teach in education, have a growth mindset, but that's not a growth mindset. That's a fixed mindset. That's fixed on one spot in in time. What's the growth? And, and where this is what I've always argued. If we want to have a system that allows that to happen, we need something that's going to evaluate a student's growth from beginning of the year to the end of the year. We have things in place for it. It's going to take a shit ton more data, but that's okay. But it's data that we can actually collect in a, in a very reasonable and easy way. You're just going to have to do it three times a year instead of one big. We already do it with our pre-assessments to see where our students are at and so forth. We, we, in Pennsylvania, it's called CDT testing. We already have it in place. It automatically does it for you. It tells you where the kids students are at, but it's like I can show on every one of the students that they've gotten better from the beginning to the end. And that's what we're looking for. We're looking for growth, but we operate on two factors. We try to put growth in there and say there's a growth factor and there's what's the other one. There's growth or crap. I just forgot. Productivity. No, shoot but anyways growth or this will come back to you yeah i know it'll come back to me i, I had it yesterday or totally forgot i've got word. a question yes go ahead i've got a question for you, Clay. yes so what is the purpose what is the purpose of k through 12 education for the the purpose is to for me and i've said this a lot is to get to to give facts that's what to to I give facts. That's, that's really what it is. It's, it's, but what is we, it now, now? Take that one step further. What does that accumulation of facts do for the student? How does that fulfill a certain purpose? Nothing unless they use it. And that, this is where I had a conversation the other day with somebody who said, um, well, because we were talking about education and college and stuff like that. And I said, yeah, it's like, it's the same thing as it, it's not what, it's not the information you have. It's how you utilize the information. And I said, exactly. And I said, listen, my, my oldest daughter in the district she's in, she's really good at math, took algebra one in eighth grade and so forth. And it is projected to take calculus. I told her don't take calculus ever. Now as a math teacher and as a bunch of people in education would be like, why are you telling her not to take? I was like, because one, we have this preconceived notion that is if, if you have a doctorate degree, you're smarter than I am. Or like, what the, like, no, I dude, I could pay for a doctorate degree, man. Like no, no, pay it, do the classes, do the stupid, you know, all this stuff that they say to do to do a doctor. Now you did a lot of work for that and I congratulate you, but it doesn't make you smarter than somebody else because you can have that doctorate degree and never utilize any of the information that you learn, which means you just 
paid a whole bunch of money and wasted a whole bunch of time, in my opinion. And like just me, I have two bad, I have a, two degrees. One's a bachelor's degree, one's a master's degree. I use in my education, as a teacher, I use maybe 10% out of both combined of mm. what I learned all there. Well, i give you an example. I paid $3,000 in college to take a tennis and badminton class so I could become a teacher. Why did I need to pay $3,000 for that? Like, wow. and, and here's what we got to understand is that I wish, man, I, I wish I was like days of old and thought of this college university business model because, dude, it is lucrative as a mofo. And it's like, you know, think about it. You know, every teacher, every education system in the United States says, go to college, get a good job, get a good education, go to college. Dude, their universities don't have to do any, hardly any advertising. But hey, you come to, Brian, you come to my school and you pay me $40,000 a year for at least four years, at least. It'll probably be five, five and a half, maybe six. But you pay me that much money. Dude, that's a business model I want to be a part of. And what unconsciously we did is we we surmised that if you want to have a, a productive and profitable life, that this is the entry ticket mm-hmm. is to go through college and get this particular yeah. degree. People yeah. like you barely use their degree or don't even do anything mm-hmm. related to their degree. Yep. And so they bought into that idea and that scenario or propaganda, if you want to even go to that extent, mm-hmm. to say, okay, this is what I have to do. I'm going to go forward and do this and then realize no value Correct. or return as a result of that. And so that that's a significant issue. And you and I talked about this um, when we met for uh, lunch and coffee mm-hmm. the other day or a few weeks ago is – how often since you graduated from either high school or any of your degree programs where you said, where was I when this was being taught? <laughs> I mean, I'm learning so much more in adulthood. I, I got more. I got, I got, I don't have enough toes, fingers, ears, oh, no. nose, I hairs. There's probably not enough hair. Why wasn't this something that I learned very early on in my education? And that's why I asked what was the the question about what is the purpose of K through 12 education? Mm -hmm. Because some people, you know, I assume that it is to make you uh, productive, healthy contributors to a, a good society, a quality society. But if that's the case, if that's the real purpose of education, why weren't we taught certain things? Yeah, we weren't. We were not. And actually, um, you know, then you can take a a step back and say, well, if education is not to really equip us to be great members of society, but only equip us to be able to go out and work and earn a living, then where's the connection between industry and education? You Mm -hmm. would think industry and education would be in lockstep in terms of what is needed for the future. And for some reason, there is a significant chasm between industry and education that should never exist. Correct. It doesn't make sense. And where there are logical fallacies, we have to probe into those logical fallacies to determine what is really at a foot here. Correct. And I think many many people watching this probably understand what's a Mm -hmm. foot here. Oh yeah. Uh, But Ryan, but Ryan, we've always done it this way. Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) That's exactly right. So yeah. again, the unexamined life isn't worth living. Correct. We're not Absolutely. evaluating. We're just going along to get along. Correct. And think about that. Go along to get along and what happens in those scenarios. Mm-hmm. That perpetuates bad behavior. It tolerates toxic employees. It mm-hmm. tolerates toxic relationships. Oh, I don't want to. I don't want to bring up the fact that she just was really rude to me. I, I'm just going to pass it mm-hmm. off and let it go. And meanwhile, we compromise ourselves. Correct. We compromise the, our relationships and the people around us. It, it just one does not add up to the other in terms of what we've been sold yes. and what we actually experience. Yes. And I think it's that disillusionment that all of us at a certain age are starting to wake up to. Yes, 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 yes. This, this, this whole pandemic is a time for us to pause and people are waking up and going, dude, 
things have to change. This is why with, with, with the scarcity mindset, you said delusion, delusionment, right? Disillusionment, disillusionment. Disillusionment. Okay. Cause that, and, that, and when I, every time I say that word disillusionment, you know what I, I have this visual of a, of a mirror or glass shattering. Hmm. And, and for me, it's the breaking of a uh, facade, an illusory facade that we had built up based on our unconscious beliefs. And once it's held up to critical examination, that illusory facade or the glass breaks. Yes. And, and, and now we are free. Absolutely. Freer and and than I we go, ever were before. Absolutely. And I go back to my first, my first uh, uh, habit or not habit, my first value and my purpose is to own my shit. And in order to do that, cause I lived in, I, I told everybody this, this, and I'm going to do a, a, a episode on this is I'm good. I walked into school, said, I'm good. I walked everywhere. I said, I'm good, but I was bullshitting everybody. I was lying to myself. I was lying to every single person. I didn't actually know I was doing it. But when I got to, when this disillusionment hit the fan and the glass shattered, I was like, well, dude, I was lying to, I was, and the worst was I was lying to myself. And that's where it came yeah. is it, then it had to be personal responsibility for me to go do me and take that responsibility to be the best version of me, go do the work and so forth. And, and, I, and I love that, that dis, disillusionment because I think right now, and uh, I think, you know, we might wrap it up on this because we'll, we'll come back at a later time and hit some, some other stuff. But I think right now, the, especially in America, the American people are ready for change. I think men around the world are ready for change. This whole epidemic, this whole pandemic, this whole thing, this whole world, this pause gave people the opportunity to sit back and go, what's really important in life? What's really important mm -hmm. for me? And to say, you know what? This is the time because we were always taught to go serve everybody else. Nobody told us to serve ourselves first. And that's something that I think people are waking up to. And, that's and I think that's a, that's a great paradox as well, um, because all too often we've been told service to self is very selfish yep. um, rather than selfless. And so it, it goes back to the whole uh, idea that you're in a plane uh, and the oxygen mask mm -hmm. falls you've got to put it on yourself first in order to help others. And that's the scenario here. We're not being selfish. We are making sure that yes. we first serve ourselves to understand that we can't pour from an empty cup. Correct. You know, and, I, I had a lot of analogies in that one. <laughs> <laughs> and that's good. I, oh, I was actually part of a business team before I was part of uh, Amway global, awesome organization, awesome team I was with very, very, they were leaders. And that's where I learned a lot of leadership stuff from. But the, some of the, some of the guys always said, you have to be selfish in order to be selfless. And at that point in time in my mm -hmm. life, I was like, what in the hell are you talking about? I'm like, that's a great line, but I don't, I don't give a damn thing you're saying about that thing until that disillusionment and, and that glass broke. As soon as that glass broke, yeah. I was like, man, I get it. Because you know what? I have to be selfish and put myself first. Listen, I love my family. Mm -hmm. I love my wife. I love my kids. I would do anything for them. I won't put myself last anymore. I will always put myself mm -hmm. first because when I'm That's the best person to me, I can expand out to them in an exponential fashion, not just an addition factor, not just a multiplication factor, an exponential factor to my family, to my wife, to my kid, to my community, to my students everybody to men around the world we can expand it when we take care of our shit first when we own our shit mm -hmm. we love our story and we go out every single day and we live with purpose we're going to kick some ass in this world and this world's going to be a better place for it so and let let me just leave you with this clay yes because that that was so well said anytime we experience those moments of disillusionment is an opportunity for growth and consciousness expansion it's hard work. It's messy. Most people's addiction to the level of introspection at bay until 
very late in life in some cases or until enough suffering has taken place for them to say, I I've got to do something different. Yep. And of course, it just doesn't have to be that way. And that's one of my favorite sayings. It doesn't have to be that way anymore. Yes. Awesome. And that's powerful stuff. And that's where I think what you're doing in the Purpose Infused Man um, project is so important because uh, we've got to pause for the cause and stand back and look at those moments and grow from those moments, not use them to further escape or yes. further uh, convince ourselves that there's something wrong with us because I don't see the world like other people around mm -hmm. me. This is an opportunity to grow exponentially and serve the people around you as a result of the learning that's taken place within you. Absolutely, man. Listen, guys. Listen, Ryan, I am so excited that I got this opportunity to talk with you. We had a lot of stuff. We have more stuff to talk about, and we're going to do that at a later time. But we're going to wrap this up for today. Guys, listen, man, this is an amazing conversation. Reach out to Ryan, uh, Ryan McShane, Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, and then you can reach out at hrevolutionllc.com as well. And listen, guys, man, every single day, we want you to go out, own your shit, love your story, live with purpose, and wake up every single day ready to kick ass. Because you know what? It's You got one life to live, and might as well live it to the fullest. So thank you, guys. Appreciate it. And we'll see you next episode.